More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Monday edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. We have a lot to talk to you all about. Thank you for being here with us. Um, over the weekend, you had a protest that turned into a riot. Uh, an individual was was killed after shooting at Georgia State Patrol officers. The media was saying it was a mostly peaceful protest, despite the fact there was bullets fly- there were bullets flying at police officers. There were uh, there were incendiary devices, basically bombs found on some of them, uh, all over what was supposed to be a training facility for law enforcement. So that's where we are with that. Um, we also have Mayor Eric Adams, Clay, some speculation. He could be planning a White House run after raising enormous amounts of money in just a day, $1.27 million, one year into his first term. We'll discuss that in a little bit. But I, I wanted to start us. Oh, and, and there was a mass shooting in uh, Los Angeles, a horrific shooting over the weekend. And because of the perpetrator, who has already taken his own life, Democrats have very quickly changed the story, changed their view of whether this is something we have to talk about yes. or not. But let's start with this, Clay, because this is this is just the truth, everybody. I actually was one behind. I'm trying to keep track of how many of how many times they find classified information in Joe Biden's possession illegally, meaning at a place that is unsecured, just for all the libs in the media out there who they, they can't, they don't know the rules, they don't know the law, they don't like to read, they just want to kind of be on camera or put snarky stuff on Twitter. It's a huge violation of classified handling protocols. I thought it was four. Clay, you think we're on five now, right? I, I actually can't even take it into, uh, it, it, you have to go back and look at the various iterations of this. There's also a new White House chief of staff incoming, which I think is interesting, who was the COVID czar under Biden. But let's start, if we can, with 
at what point is yet another batch of classified found? Remember, this is not willfully taken by a president, kept in secure storage, under surveillance in one location. This is a non-president, vice president, who does not have declassification authority, taking this stuff home like he's reading Car and Driver over the weekend and literally leaving it in the garage. At what point does this become a true political liability? At what point is it no longer possible for them to keep the defense of all things Biden going? I think it's there. Um, and for people over the weekend, and I understand how you could miss it because I, I, I when I saw it, I just kind of rolled my eyes. They have officially had to call in the Department of Justice. And what I would say, maybe we can get our friend uh, uh, Andrew McCarthy on later this week because I'd be curious how he would analyze this. But my thought is when you bring in the FBI and the Department of Justice, it's probably them saying, if you don't let us do this, we're going to have to go get a warrant and do this search on our own. And so they allowed it to happen with their attorneys still present. But, yeah, Buck, this is now the fifth different time that they have had to announce that they have found classified documents. And remember when this began, my question for you was, it felt like a cluster because... Every one of these drip, drip, drip stories is embarrassing. But if the White House had been able to control this and they had said, hey, we, in the wake of the Donald Trump incident, decided to undergo an exhaustive search of all of Joe Biden's uh, private um, files and private papers, and we have found several different documents with classified markings on them and have turned them over to the National Archives. And they had told that story once. And they had said, hey, we looked at every possible residence, every possible location. We did a deep search uh, with for classified documents just to make sure that we were uh, complying. It would have been a mess, but it wouldn't have been the mess that this has turned into. And, Buck, you mentioned what I think is so significant here. They made a big argument, not only that Trump had these documents, but that they weren't secure. Do you remember the front page New York Times story? Within a few feet of where everyone partied, Donald Trump had classified documents as if and they had the map up uh, to show people Mar-a-Lago and where the classified documents were and what a security risk it was. And you and I came on and we said, look, in order to move around the Mar-a-Lago property at all, you have to be wanded. You have to be vetted to even enter onto that property. When you come in, they want your name, they want your birth certificate, you know, your your driver's license number, everything else to even allow you access to that premises in the first place. Um, and so, what when they initially reported these, they had all the Biden defenders come out and say, "Well, this is totally different. This is how you're going to supposed to handle it." And then they had the Corvette and the classified documents by it, and they just continued this drip, drip, drip of incompetence. And in the process, I think they've cut a lot of people's legs off. And, Buck, you mentioned the idea that Eric Adams might run as a uh, as the mayor of New York City for president. Joe Manchin came out and said he might run for president. Now, that would be an easy way for him to potentially avoid having to run for re-election in West Virginia and make it look like his choice because then he runs for president. And, uh, and if he fails, which I think he would, at least that's kind of like him riding off into the sunset and declaring independence from the Democrats, however you want to classify it. But I think increasingly it's becoming likely that somebody with resources 
is going to challenge Biden. I would still be very surprised if Biden isn't going to run. But I think this classified document scandal, the decision by his chief of staff, who we talked about, Ron Klain, for a long time to step down and no longer be managing this White House, it feels to me like Biden is adrift at sea a bit, and there is going to be a challenger. And I think that challenger may well emerge in the next month or two, and then we'll see how serious that challenge is going to be. I also think it's noteworthy, because we, we often say here on the show, Clay, that not not only have they refused to punish the people who got COVID so wrong, and I I, mean, I just mean professionally, never mind whether there should be any sanctions yeah, right. beyond that, but, you know, fired. Like, I think people should lose their jobs over being wrong and also horrifyingly wrong on all things COVID. But the incoming uh, White House chief of staff, I want I want everyone to hear this. This is Jeff uh, Zients. Is that how you say it? I'm not sure my... how you pronounce his name. I, I thought I was hoping you were going to know. Yeah, you know, I take a stab at it. Jeff yeah. Zients. This was him in December of 2021. This is not, you know, ancient history. Here is him weighing in. He was the COVID czar for Biden, not a very prominent one in terms of the media coverage. And here he is letting you know what he thinks of, well, a lot of you. Play clip one. We are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death. For yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. For for the unvaccinated, basically... You're all going to die or you're going to kill people and you're going to overwhelm hospitals and your monsters. This this guy should this be begging the, the guy. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? No, I was just going to say this was the guy who conveyed the winner of death argument, which is maybe the worst possible hmm. statement of all that Joe Biden put out. And like you said, he's getting promoted. He he is being elevated. So in case anyone's wondering what they do when they get everything wrong and they, by all objective standards, should be ashamed of themselves, it's promotion time in the Biden White House. That's how they operate over there, because he was a soldier for the cause of the left. And it, the, the fact that he said all this stuff that's obviously untrue and has never. How is it that no one in the press has pushed him on this? Why isn't he being asked at the first opportunity? Hey. You said that hospitals would be over overrun with the unvaccinated. In fact, the vaccination didn't stop hospital levels from going to exactly what they would have been without the vaccine. The thing didn't even work. So how about that? He's going to be White House chief of staff, which I would I would note, you know, Clay, if Ron Klain was the de facto president or whatever people argue, does that mean that Jeff Zients, I believe I've been told is how you pronounce this. Um, does that mean that Jeff is now? The, the chief behind the scenes guy making decisions for Biden, who at this point, given the fact that there's classified in five different batches of this have now been found. OK, they're now thinking about looking, I believe, at the Rehoboth Beach House. Right. Isn't that the latest? Yes. Off? It is tough to keep it all together because they keep saying, oh, we found it all. It's over. It's good. We're, we're cooperating. But this is the last of it. Five times. Not the last of it. And I wonder when the shift to. Not only do we have to search all of Joe Biden's properties, this is where the Hunter Biden connection can come in. Because I wonder how long it's going to be till they say, okay, let's start to search some of the Biden family members who had access potentially to these classified documents. And I'll also note that unlike with the Trump investigation, where the FBI took all the photos of the classified documents arrayed on the floor 
The FBI, to my knowledge, didn't take any pictures of the classified documents inside Joe Biden's house that they took possession of. So that propaganda aspect has not occurred. Also, we haven't had any leaks, really, about any of the details surrounding. It didn't take very long for the Washington Post to come out and say, oh, these were extremely sensitive documents. They involved potentially the nuclear codes. Well, all we've gotten is kind of a generic sense. They said one involved Ukraine, Iran, and England, I think, on the initial Penn Biden document discovery. We haven't heard anything about the documents since. Why would he bring these home? This is another question yeah. I'm wondering. About. And how? And if you didn't if bring them from home, the Senate, a lot of the senators, Buck, have said you could never take stuff yes. out of the Senate and be able the, to get this, you know, home. The, well, I mean, it's illegal, right? And and so that's why yeah. you wonder. Okay, even if Biden has a skiff, a secure compartmented information facility, which is where you are allowed to have classified. And, and for, for example, you know, a president, the president goes to Camp David, like there's a skiff at Camp David, right? I mean, when, when you're talking about that level of government official, uh, there are, there are places where they, where they go outside of the standard, you know, the White House, the Pentagon, where you can have classified information. But even if that were the case, how, why would he have left it? Or, or, you know, why would he have left those, those areas with this? There is clear, this is what I'm getting to, recklessness here. And I think that the way that they could honestly defend against the recklessness, I think the way they could do that would be to say that Biden is really old and has made some and and, and his cognition is challenged and was challenged even when he was vice president. But they can't make that argument because they're going to try to make this guy president for four more years. I think it's likely and so they're left with what exactly? Now you've noticed there's these, the, the move has now become clay the tepid. Well, this is not entirely responsible. I am not super proud of Biden's handle. Like they've sort of done a little bit of this. You know what I mean? But they're just hoping that the storm passes. I'm not so sure it's an easy thing for him to pass. Legally, they're going to make this thing go away for him. That I'm very confident of. But politically, this looks bad now. This has gone from like, oh, doesn't everyone make mistakes to Joe Biden's a reckless clown. Yeah, and that's why I think he's going to have a challenger. Now, I'm not sure who that challenger is, who's going to step in the ring with him. But I think ultimately, Buck, when some of this data comes out, what we're going to see is that, for instance, the Senate uh, classified documents were things that Joe Biden felt entitled to keep. In other words, almost uh, memori- memorabilia in the same way that a lot of the dispute over what Trump kept seems to be rooted in, hey, this is my property. This is memorabilia from my time as president. The Kim Jong-un letters are a great example of that. He thought that those were his possession. And I think that you're going to find out that Joe Biden had a very similar way of thinking. That's the only thing that can make sense to me about how he could end up with classified documents from all the way back to his Senate career. And then you have to wonder, how did he travel with these? Was he carrying them on the train, you know, in his briefcase back up to Delaware, which is the usual way that Joe Biden would have traveled? How did these, the the vice president makes a little bit more sense because they're packing up the office in a hurry. The Senate classified documents to me is much more challenging to explain away. And again, to me, it emboldens somebody who could be a challenger, whether it's Joe Manchin, whether it's Eric Adams. He might get challenged on both flanks, Buck, which would be interesting. I mean, Joe Manchin. When was the last time we had a real challenge? Right. When was the last time we had a real challenge to an incumbent president from his own party, Clay? 
Gotta go I back. mean, I think you'd almost have to go back to what uh, George W. George H. W. Bush, right? I mean, when he got challenged by Pat yeah. Buchanan in uh, back in 1988, uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly. Um, so it's been, or I guess it would have been 92 after he'd won his first term. I uh, got to tell you, if you like the idea of doing business with companies that share your values, consider switching your cell phone service to Pure Talk. Pure Talk's the antidote to woke wireless. They're proudly veteran-owned. They employ a U.S.-based customer service team, and they refuse to spend their money on fake news networks. Service excellent. It's on one of the largest networks out there in the country. You are going to get incredibly fast data talk and text for just 30 bucks a month, including on this. My own family's on this network, and we absolutely love it. Half of what you're paying Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Switching to Pure Talk's easy, too. You keep your phone, your number, and it takes as little as 10 minutes. Plus, Pure Talk has a first-month risk-free guarantee. Try it. If you're not completely happy with your Pure Talk service, you'll get your money back. You can also support a company who supports you. Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Sanity in an insane world. The Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton Show. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers 
or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. Over the weekend, some violence breaking out in the Atlanta area, uh, a riot uh, that's, it's interesting, when a riot starts uh, starts off as a protest, the Democrats involved around this in the media will say it is a peaceful protest that turned into something else. Some protests get the benefit of the doubt. Others obviously are the biggest threat to our democracy since you know, Pearl Harbor or or whatever. But I want to tell you about this uh, this riot that occurred over the weekend. So there's something in the uh, air, Atlanta area that activists are... It's the Atlanta Police Department training facility that's being built, which the these leftists are calling Cop City. So there was a group, and it was Clay over the weekend, I was trying to dive into all this, a group that called themselves the Forest Defenders, um, who were showing up and engaging in destructive and criminal uh, acts on on they were sabotaging things and because they didn't want cop city as they call it to be built because they thought that this is just the enshrining of the police state or something it's fascinating isn't it the activists say they want just better training for police and de-escalation and you're going to build this large multidisciplinary law enforcement training facility to do that kind of stuff de-escalation, non-lethal, whatever. And then the leftists are saying, oh, but it's going to take too many trees and the environmental impact and the enshrining of police because they're lunatics. But the Democrats in the media all have a lot of sympathy for this and for this movement. But this was particularly, uh, this is particularly egregious. There was a, a lethal shooting here, law enforcement involved shooting of a protester who, uh, Open fire on a Georgia State Patrol trooper. Yes. So one of these forest defender lunatics pulls a gun and starts shooting at Georgia State, basically Georgia State Police, right? Georgia State Police returns fire and kills him. And then other forest defenders, these are all Biden voters, by the way, leftists, decide that they're going to burn down a police, you know, they, they burned a police vehicle and they're, they're destroying things and engaging in a riot, and somehow we're supposed to think that this is peaceful protest that just got a little out of out of hand. The whole thing is is lunatic stuff. Yeah, and if you haven't seen the videos, definitely worth watching the videos. Buck, they arrested six Antifa, it appears, activists. Right, in some way, these groups are connected. All six were from outside of Atlanta. I believe five were from out of state. One was from Decatur, Georgia, which is a suburb, basically, of Atlanta. The other five, I believe, were from out of state. All white people. So I just want to point this out. You have out-of-state rioters that are showing up in Atlanta and are burning, looting, pillaging, 
engaging in violent behavior, and on CNN, which has a substantial footprint in Atlanta, they have a spokesperson go on air and basically say, oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's a cliche because we've had to go through this so many times, but the amount of time that they say this is, you know, essentially mostly peaceful protest. We have actually, we have a a journalist on CNN here saying, let's not remember, they marched because they were outraged that a a leftist pulled the gun and started firing at cops and they fired back and killed him. So they're outraged that that happened. And then they're marching in, in Atlanta and they decide that a, a group of them, as you said, six have been arrested, basically anti-femaniacs. They're domestic terrorists, everybody. That's actually what they are. Let's just use the proper terminology, uh, which you won't hear that on MSNBC or CNN. They start smashing things, destroying property and lighting a police car on fire. Um, and this is what they're saying over at CNN is this is all happening. Play seven. I think that there's a real blurring of the lines and, and the use of the word violence is property destruction violence. Um, to some people, it certainly is. But, you know, this idea that breaking windows or other acts of property destruction are the same as actual violence against humans, it's kind of a dangerous and, and slippery concept you know you keep using these words violent 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 the only acts of, of violence against people that i saw were actually police tackling protesters okay okay so this is, this is fascinating this is the no, this is on cnn's air whenever to hear that the only violence now he leaves out the violence of the maniac shooting at and trying to murder police officers which then spurred this whole protest on the streets but the whole point of the property destruction is yes economic pain but it's also clay meant to intimidate you could argue by this guy's same logic, hey, I just went into a bank and held a gun up and said, fill my bag full of money. I didn't hurt anybody, right? The impression or the the belief that violence is imminent is also something that has to be policed. When you're lighting car, when you're throwing things and lighting cars on fire, I think people are right to think that's unsafe. You are threatening my physical safety as well as destroying property. When a police car is burning, that is the essence of violence. So the the argument of, oh, it's just property. No, no, no. When you burn a police cruiser, that is violent behavior. And to the credit of the, it's a newly elected mayor of Atlanta. He's been in this office relatively short period of time. Andre Dickens, he replaced Keisha Lance Bottoms, who I believe is in the Biden administration now, uh, and she was fired up about all the crime-related issues, but just decided not to run. Really, the mayor race in Atlanta turned on who could stamp down on violent crime the most, and I think this is interesting that the mayor of Atlanta pointed out that these violent protesters were from outside of Atlanta and came to the city of Atlanta. Again, Atlanta's a majority black city. We have six white Antifa protesters arrested committing acts of violence. The mayor wasn't standing for it. Listen. They had a protest last night, uh, and it was peaceful. 
But there were some individuals within that crowd that meant violence. They had explosives. They burned down a police car. They broke windows at businesses. And so our police department, along with our state and federal partners, took swift action within two blocks and brought that situation under control. And the violence stopped. And those six individuals were arrested. And it should be noted that these individuals were not Atlanta or Georgia residents. Most of them traveled into our city to wreak havoc. Now, he's saying some of the right things here, and that's why yeah, you're pointing a, that out. Which is a change, right, from, well, from a, a big city mayor for a change, finally saying we got to stamp this out. All of the, all of the uh, leftists out there, they're running out of excuses and explanations for why whenever people do what the anti-police left wants, everyone is less safe, there's more violence and destruction, and there's urban decay, and, and the whole thing turns into a mess. They they're running out of ways to explain to people. Yeah, enforcing the law less and deciding that you're going to use social justice instead of criminal justice for police departments. It, it, this isn't going to work anymore. And more and more players are seeing this. Actually, you bring this up. New Orleans, which has the highest per capita murder rate of any major city, which is so. I mean, I know you agree. With me. I love New Orleans. I think yeah, it's one of the town. coolest, best towns in the whole country. It's a top ten city for me in America. I love it. Far too violent right now, obviously. Far too much violence going on in that city. Mayor uh, Latoya Cantrell spoke about it and said some stuff that is on the right track. Listen to this. Play 10. New Orleans has the highest per capita murder rate of any major city. Why? Why is because, one, dealing with COVID-19, violence. Everyone has guns. The lack of the ability to resolve a conflict uh, without reaching and pulling a gun. Also, as it relates to accountability, you know, um, low-lining offenses, you know, when they don't get bail or they're not um, restrained, then we're just seeing how these crimes escalate. Mm -hmm. People need to be held accountable across the board. Clay, can I just say, uh, so so obviously the first thing she said about COVID is, is preposterous, but that's been a Democrat talking point for a long time now to try to cover up the decay of, of, the, of these Democrat-controlled cities. I think, though, this is part of what you're going to see this this slow shift. Oh, it's still about, you know, COVID or police training or whatever. But she uses this word accountability. What that really means is locking up criminals and enforcing the law. That this the inescapable truth that even Democrats are now having to face is you have to lock up criminals. You have to enforce the law or else not only does this stay, it gets worse. And that's where we are. And they're also slowly having to come to the grips with the fact that this is all George Floyd protest related. The data does not reflect that this occurred because of COVID. It's because Democrats made a conscious decision in the wake of one viral video out of Minneapolis to brand all police as evil and also to essentially tell their base, which is a large portion of many cities, you don't have to respect or comply with police anymore. And in fact, if you get arrested, you're the victim of a structural racist uh, society. And as a result, crime skyrocketed. And now you're seeing that people don't like when crime skyrockets in the cities. I mean, you talk about New Orleans, Buck. For many people who've been down there, it has gotten to the point now where if you stray a little bit outside of the main streets in the French Quarter, you go very far off Bourbon Street at all, it's not safe. And the number one lifeblood for New Orleans and all those businesses is what? Tourism. Tourism. And if people don't feel comfortable coming on the road and taking a vacation in New Orleans because of the, as you pointed out, rightfully, the highest rate of murder of any decent-sized city in America, 
then everything starts to fall apart, and everything is falling apart in many of these cities, such that mayors are recognizing. I want to shift our focus for a second to the fight to protect unborn babies. That fight is underway now more than ever. Did you know that some states have legislators proposing bills that allow for abortion even after a baby is born? Unborn babies need our help, and preborn is there for them. The mission of preborn pregnancy clinics is simple. Rescue babies from abortion. Every day, preborn rescues 150 babies' lives. How do they do this? By providing the gift of an ultrasound. You see, when a mother considering abortion hears that heartbeat and sees that precious life, the majority of the time, she will choose life. You can participate and make a difference. Preborn is completely dependent on you, the pro-life community, and you and me, because we need to help them now. For just $28, the cost of a dinner out, you can save a baby's life. Or $100, $140 rather, will sponsor five ultrasounds. 100% of your donation will go towards saving babies' lives. Our goal is to save the lives of hundreds of thousands of unborn babies over the course of all of Preborn's work. And you can be a part of that right now. Grab your cell phone and dial pound 250. Say the keyword baby. That's from your cell phone. Dial pound 250 and say baby or donate online at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash buck sponsored by Preborn. He's Buck Sexton. He's Clay Travis. Together, they're breathing sanity into an insane world. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. We had mentioned this story at the top of this hour. We wanted to get into it now with the details. Um, So comments went viral over uh, the weekend from a 17-year-old named Rebecca Phillips. She said she was changing uh, one day last month at the YMCA uh, in the San Diego area. And while she was changing after swimming laps, uh, she, Rebecca, saw a transgender female uh, named Christine Wood. By the way, just reading the story is difficult because of the usage of the term she throughout for both individuals when one of the she's is not a she. Um, and I, that's not a minor detail. We will we'll discuss this in, in, a, in a moment. But here we we have some sense. So this went viral, and there were protests at the YMCA over the weekend over this issue. Um, and and I, I just want to Clay, I, I watched some of this this young girl, seventeen. She starts crying. Yeah. She talks about uh, how she brings her five year old uh, sister to that same locker room and that same YMCA to change to use the water slide in the pool in the summer. There was a claim made. Then this is now there's contention over this particular claim, but, it, you know, it makes a difference, obviously, to the story, um, because the uh, the woman here, the 17 year old girl, said that she saw Christine Wood, the transgender individuals, male genitalia, hence the knowing that this is a man changing in the woman's locker room, the transgender uh, transgender woman. Christine Wood says that's not possible because of transgender surgery. Now, I I don't think this claim has been adjudicated one way or the other yet as to what is true. But just note, I I, I found this really interesting over the with a lot of media firestorm about this over the weekend. And here's how the media talks about this issue. I guess this is a, a, a local San Diego broadcaster who is um, discussing this one. And uh, play uh, play clip nine. I feel like a big part of the story that's 
either been a misconception or people are just forgetting about is that Wood has fully transitioned into a woman and was in the woman's bathroom. Yeah, that's right, Wale. In fact, she says she is a woman and she really wants to drive home the fact that she transitioned over five years ago um, and that, you know, she is a woman and, and she says she's a woman, period. And yeah, that's where it ends. Absolutely. No, actually, that's not where it ends. Yeah, we need to play the 17-year-old girl at some point, maybe even tomorrow, because I think people will hear it and hear in her voice that, in her opinion, she was seeing a man. And for anybody out there, this is crazy, right? The idea that has been put into circulation in this country is if you identify as a woman, you are, in fact, a woman. That just isn't true. It's not factually true. It's not bio biologically true. And I don't know what this person looks like, but do you think that a 17-year-old girl is just going to make up that she saw what she believes is male genitalia in the locker room? Like, that seems crazy to me to think I mean, that she would be doing that. This individual is visibly a man. There are photos. Yes. Visibly a man. There are some effort to, I think there's been, you know, breast augmentation surgery or something like that. But you look at this person, you go, well, that's a transgender individual. There's, there's not a surprise. I mean, there, there are photos all over the New York Post and other sites you can see. So this 17 year old girl, she's, she sees a man in the woman's locker room is made to feel, isn't it interesting? If usually if people feel unsafe, they use that word, right? They say, Oh, I feel unsafe because of comments. You know, I feel unsafe because. Somebody said they voted for Donald Trump in the classroom. I feel unsafe. And that is an immediate veto card over everything else that comes after it. That is everyone cater to that person's needs. Now we're talking about a 17-year-old girl who's naked in the presence of a full-grown man who is naked. And her feeling unsafe brings the left out to complain that she needs to just deal with it. That's that too her, bad, little 17-year-old girl. This guy gets to change there. And that her reality as a minor female in a locker room, which is supported by factual truth, is not acceptable. She has to lie about what she's experiencing and what she sees. And of all people that you would want to listen to, you would think a teenage girl would be at the top at the peak of the list of people that you would have to respect here. And I totally agree. I mean, you would think that uh, a young woman in this circumstance, that, that if there's a, that if the, you know, there's a close call here, which this is not a close call in my opinion, but if there were a close call about the, you know, the rights involved or the, the need to feel safe, that the young girl and not the 40 uh, something year old uh, trans female individual would be getting priority, but the left has an agenda, and the false eradication of gender and uh, uh, of gender, and more importantly, the forced affirmation of lies is central to this. This is what they do, and I'll be honest with you: even conservative media outlets, I disagree. They do, she, you know, she, Christine Wood, she, everywhere. That is not about being polite. That is taking when you're talking about gender, you've taken a side on the issue immediately by referring to a trans female as she because of course then in people's minds they think to themselves well it's a she so it is a woman right so then what's her problem it's not a woman that's the problem yeah and and i also think it raises the question further 
If you look at the picture, photo, face, person, you would say this is a man, right? Physical male characteristics. What's to stop someone? And I mean, I mean this honestly. What's to stop someone from totally being a biological male and just saying, I identify as a woman, so I'm deciding to use this locker room? Like, I, I, can, what is the YMCA status? And, can, and, can I also point out that the, the fight over whether there is still an existence of male genitalia in this case, and that is at issue in this discussion, does... Uh, does uh, Christ- Christine Wood still have a penis? That's the allegation here. And there's a back and forth because, you know, that's a pretty clear indicator of gender for most of us. But, you know, I, yes. I know we'll get someone who says, what about intersex people? Christine Wood is not intersex. Um, Clay, this continues to play out in a way where you're not allowed to view and not allowed to discuss objective reality. And that, that I think, is a tip-off in and of itself. When you can't actually even say, hold on a second, what are even, you know, what are we really dealing with here? What is the situation as, as it unfolds, um, before us? And, and it's very, it's troubling that there are so many people who come forward and not only want to be a party to this, to this lie, but, uh, are really nasty. I mean, the people who, who come out in favor of a woman, it's a woman and all this other stuff. And let me also note, I think this is important, that if Christine Wood, you can change your name, that's fine. We all agree with that. So the name is the name, that's fine. If Christine Wood did still have male genitalia, but had claimed an authentic transition and was planning to have it removed, do you think the trans, you know, the trans agenda supporters would say, well, in that case, you got to wait till it's absolutely not. So even if there was male genitalia in the situation, they would still insist that the 17-year-old girl has to change and not have any problem with this whatsoever. Do you see what I'm saying? They act like, oh, but, you know, there's this detail. We're fighting over this detail. They wouldn't change if the detail changed. Not not only that, I, I think also just basic decency. Most people try to make other people comfortable in a locker room setting. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like, whatever... You're not trying to make someone feel threatened, by and large, in either a men's or a women's locker room. It's already an uncomfortable place because sometimes there's nudity involved. This feels like an intentional provocation in some ways. Like, if you truly have some genitals that would suggest you might be uh, not female, why do you have to get naked in the locker room? Right? Like, I mean, a lot of people work out in gyms without feeling the need to get fully nude in a locker room. You know what I'm talking about? Like, most people don't take a shower in the locker room, I don't think. So it feels like a provocation in some way from this individual to try. And again, if you hear this girl's voice and hear her explaining what's going on, I think it's going to be really difficult for you to feel like, oh, she's in the wrong in some way in the way that she is behaving. It's just it's just not possible, in my opinion, based on hearing this story. But this is something, and you may be out there listening like, oh, well, this is a isolated circumstance. That's what they always say about these stories, and increasingly it's happening in your state, it's happening in your school district, it's happening in your neighborhood where everybody is forced to come face-to-face with this factual untruth that is making especially young women uncomfortable. Yes, 
one of the one of the constant underhanded techniques of power that is used by the left is to push things that are outrageous and extreme and to do so systematically. But every time it comes up, say, oh, why are you making such a big deal of this? Yes. As if we're always supposed to say, oh, you're right. Okay, so we'll just let it go. We'll let it go. We keep doing it. Because the same logic applies to them. Why are they making such a a big deal over this? If it's so rare, if it's not really the issue that, you know, we should be focused. Why are you so focused on this? Because the left is so they're just they just get caught and then they just want their way. But we'll come back into this in a second. I want to turn our attention for a moment to how you can stay safe online. I mean, have you ever received emails from companies that you trust, but just something felt off about them? You might notice typos or a sender address that's different from normal. These emails are called clone phishing. Phishing, in this case, with a PH, of course, in the spelling. Many online attacks begin with one of them and lead to trouble with your online identity being stolen. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Your personal information gets exposed so often, making it dangerously easy for a cyber criminal to steal your identity. Protecting your identity can be easy with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock detects and alerts you to potential identity threats you may not spot on your own, like cyber hackers pretending to be you, making off with your money. If you do become a victim of identity theft, LifeLock has an entire team of dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialists, one of which will be assigned to work with you to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Join now and save up a 25% off your first year with promo code BUCK. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or head to lifelock.com online. Use my name as the promo code BUCK for 25% off. I've relied personally on LifeLock for years, and it has paid for itself time and time again. Go to, right now, lifelock.com. It's promo code BUCK, and you'll get 25% off. You don't know what you don't know, right? But you could on the Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do, is that is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. 
Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are joined now by Patrick Bet David, founder and CEO of Valuetainment. He's got a book out, Your Next Five Moves, Master the Art of Business Strategy. Appreciate you joining us, Patrick. And Buck and I have been trying to follow the story here of the economy, as I'm sure many of our listeners have, uh, as we roll into 2023. What do you see out there on the horizon? What do you expect 2023 to look like from a business perspective? And thanks for making the time for us. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Love the work you guys are doing. But uh, yeah, I'll give you a couple data points for the listener to be thinking about. This is what concerns me. So if we're looking at the Biden economy and purely his resume, he gives the inauguration speech January 20th, 2021, which is roughly... Two years ago, to be exact, it's three days, uh, two years ago. He gets, gives a speech two months later, March 2021. We have the uh, $1.9 trillion relief bill that they're very excited about. The next couple months, all we hear about that the U.S. savings rate hit 26%. Everybody was celebrating. You see how great of an idea this is? we got to send more money to the American people. Look what's happening. People are not spending their money. They're saving their money. Savings rate 26%, which is beautiful. Everybody was bragging about it. Well, fast forward to today. At that time, was 26%. Today, current savings rate is the worst it's been in 17 years. That's 2.4% is what we have today. Here's another data to be thinking about. Just a year ago, Q4 of last year, so Q4 is October, November, December, we had roughly $750 billion of credit card debt, okay? We're talking 13 months ago. That is not a long time ago. We went from $750 billion in credit card debt to $926 billion in credit card debt. We're about to cross a trillion dollars for the first time ever in the history of U.S. and credit card debt. And everybody's talking about the national debt, 31 trillion. You know, a lot of times when people say that kind of stuff, the average family uh, and the worker doesn't really feel it. They're like, yeah, you know, I can go on the debt clock and kind of see that website. But we definitely do feel the credit card debt in ways we've never seen before. So uh, that's one data that concerns me tremendously. When you see sales at 99 cent stores being up 80%, year over year, that means people are no longer going and buying stuff that they were at the regular place. They're going to places that are discounted is a sign that they're not able to afford things. And last but not least on this topic, 
to be uh, looking at when you're thinking about this. So everybody was bragging last year about, well, look at this. I understand what they're talking about with inflation and what they're doing with inflation. But you got to look at unemployment. Look how great the numbers are at unemployment. Look how awesome it is. The economy's doing great. The economy's doing great. If that was the soundbite last year, I would love to see them use that same soundbite Q3 of this year when unemployment takes a hit. They will not be talking about that. So uh, in regards to 2023, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's not looking good. The policies are not making the American economy better than it was two years ago or three years ago. Hey, Patrick, it's Buck. Really appreciate you being with us. And for everyone, you should check out the Pat, uh, Patrick Bet David show, uh, PBD uh, show, which is an excellent podcast. Patrick, uh, what is what does it mean when you're trying to figure out what the indicators would be if things are about to get ugly in the economy? You know, what are the worry signs you laid out for us? What you gave us is the data of where we already are. If we're looking right. out three months, six months and we're going to head, people are saying we're already in some form of recession, but if we go into something more like a Biden depression, what are you looking for? Excellent question. So, so think about it this way. Collectively, beginning of 2021, us Americans, if we put all our net worth together, we were roughly worth $2.1 trillion. That's how much cash we had. Specifically cash, not net worth. Let me correct that. Specifically cash. We collectively had $2.1 trillion in cash, okay? That's Q1 of last year. Second quarter, that dropped from 2.1 to 1.9. Third quarter to 1.6. And we're getting close to $1.3 trillion of savings. That is losing nearly a trillion dollars of cash in 12 months. So what does that mean? Why is that such a concern? Here's what it means. Rates went up. Um, uh, I want to say 14 months ago, not even 14, yeah, 14 months ago, we could get a nice 3% interest rate. Some even got 2.85 for 30 year fixed. Your mortgage payment is not a big mortgage payment. You can afford it. Everything was good. Property value hasn't dropped significantly yet because people are still sitting on cash. Meaning, say somebody owns a $700,000 house and it was $700,000 14 months ago. But they're sitting on $100,000 of cash, and now it's 80000 now it's 60000 now it's 45000 now it's 38000 Now, husband and wife are sitting there talking to each other saying, babe, we're trying to sell this house. No one's biting at $750,000. let us lower to seven dollars let us lower to six fifty. Babe, we may need to sell this thing for five eighty, And then, boom, it dumps at five eighty. How do I know that? I'll give you a perfect example myself. Eight months ago, I went to look at this local building here in Fort Lauderdale. The owners, uh, it's a multi-billion dollar company. They kind of want this building to be off their balance sheet. There's $60 million into this building. I go in there like, look, we're, we're trying to get rid of it. The buyers don't want to see this. We're willing to dump it at $32 million. I said, I'm not paying you $32 million. I'll offer $26 million. They walk. I get a call this week. This week, they come up to me and they say, Patrick, We'll sell it to you right now for $20 million, but we need this thing to get done within four weeks. And I said, I'll give you $15 million for it. And they're entertaining the idea, by the way. They're entertaining the idea. So if the big money people are willing to take those kinds of losses because they want debt off the balance sheet, we're about to experience middle America, folks who are living in $500,000, dollars $700,000 homes or million-dollar homes, we're going to start seeing people saying, you know, that thing we thought was worth a million, maybe it's really only worth eight fifty. So that's what's going to be experienced now because people are running out of cash. So this is fascinating uh, because Buck and I have talked a lot about this. 
there's a lot of people out there who are just staying in their homes because they have a 3% mortgage rate and they don't want to have to pay 6.5 or 7 to be able to move. Yep. And at some point, that all starts to add up. I think we've had, whatever it is, 11 straight months of declining home sales. And a lot of people, you know this, Patrick, huge percentage of people out there listening to us right now, their net worth is very often tied up into their homes. And in that, what you're discussing, at least in your head, you get those Zillow emails and the value of your home is higher than what you paid. And so psychologically, for past years, you've been able to use that home as a piggy bank. Mm-hmm. How does this rectify itself? So if what you're talking about, people are trying, there's a flight to quality, basically, a flight to cash. How does this spiral? What happens in your mind in 23 as we move through this year? Well, it's not going to be a pretty year. I mean, I think everybody, uh, it's funny because when you talk to realtors, this is the best way to find out how uh, the industry is going to do. Call realtors and ask them, what is your indication? What is your prediction of what's going to happen to the market in 2023? Here's what they'll say. We're expecting a flat year. If realtors who are in the business of being optimistic tell you they're expecting a flat year, you know what it means. They're expecting 20 to 30% drop off, right? Because Typically, realtors are always very motivational, very optimistic, very excited. So that part is given. Math, you cannot fight math. Math is math. When our savings goes to the levels that it goes to, you know, people panic. We don't do well when we don't have money in the bank. We come from a concerned place. My, my suggestion and my thought is more towards solution. I remember when I was working on Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, my first day with them was 9-10-01. My second day at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter was 9-11. So we're talking first day, everybody's excited. This is going to be great. You're officially a stockbroker. Next day, people are afraid to answer the phones. And if you remember when we shut down the, uh, the stock market because they were worried it was going to just plunge the next day, and then they shut it down, the market was closed, Bro- brokers weren't working. I sat there and I said, oh, my God, what are we going to be doing? So that was kind of a case study to to see what happened. A documentary came out at the time uh, by the former Comptroller General of U.S., David Walker. He's in it. And then Warren Buffett's in it. And in the documentary, a lady asks the following question, which which I think this is the most important part. She says, listen, Warren, I'm a mother. I have three kids. I'm so worried. What do I do? How do I pay the bills? If America, America's debt is at this situation, we owe this much money. Here's what's going on. How do I handle myself? I don't know what to do. And Warren said something very powerful, and I'll never forget. It's the biggest insurance policy the individual can have in an economy like this. He says, listen, there's always a demand for experts. There's always a demand for people who are very, very good at what they do. Meaning if somebody is listening to this and this caller, they're probably like, listen, Clay, Buck, why'd you guys bring this guy? It's depressing right now. He's right. Saving is this. I'm not optimistic about it. To that caller, you have to figure out a way to learn a new, a new skill set or two or three or four or five or whatever you're in, become an expert in it because tens of thousands of jobs. We're seeing 55,000 jobs in technology right now. We're not even feeling it. Bed, bath, and beyond, which... Many of us have been to Bed Bath & Beyond, maybe by choice, maybe by force. They just went bankrupt. There's going to be a lot of stories like that. So the individual, rather than sitting there panicking, whatever job you're in, do whatever you can to become an expert, improve yourself, learn new ways of taking care of your customers so you're more competitive in the marketplace. That doesn't mean the next 12 months is not going to be, is going to be pretty. It doesn't. 
It just means when this too shall pass and we go into 2024, 2025, by that time you'll be recovered. And then five, 10 years from now, when this happens again, you'll be ready for the next crisis. Unfortunately, it's too late if you weren't ready for this one. This is now an indicator for us to be prepared for the next one. Check out everybody, the PBD podcast, Patrick Bet David. Patrick, we got to have you back for one of our long forms because we got to go to station break now because it's radio, but we'd love to talk to you on the podcast side. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. If you're a gun owner, you should know about a great new way of training and keeping your skills sharp without getting to the range. It's called the Mantis X, and it's a training system that is a no-ammo, all-electronic way that helps you stay razor-sharp with your ability to aim with precision. Some shooters and trainers call this style of training dry fire practice, and it is so effective. You connect the Mantis X like you would a light to your weapon. It connects to an app on your phone and gives you real-time data as you practice and work on your aim. Nearly everyone using the Mantis X improves their shot within the first 20 minutes. It's that helpful. This product is now being used by the Army, Marines, and even our Special Forces. It's military-grade technology at an affordable price. The Mantis X is a must-have for every gun owner, and it's fun to use, too. If you believe in your Second Amendment rights, you must also act on your Second Amendment responsibility to be competent in your shooting. Start improving your skills today and have some fun while you do it with the Mantis X. I busted mine out over the weekend. I love this thing. MantisX.com. M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. Don't miss a minute of Clay and Buck and get behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. Subscribe to CNB 24-7. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Campbell. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.